I want to talk to you about something that really I have seen as far as we completing this series of vision, even though you can't really complete a subject like this, but you can, uh, again, bring it to a point of conclusion. But I have seen since 2000 now, this is, of course, 23 years I've been watching this, the value of God's Word diminish specifically here in America. People don't put the Word of God as first place or, as I'm going to share in a couple of minutes, as final authority in their lives anymore. I've seen this even particularly in, in churches people are more apt to just sort of come to church and be a part of a church family and a church network and go through the, the motions, but they don't really have uh, uh, what I call the most important part of their life is their understanding of God's Word as far as it being the first place and final authority in their lives. As a matter of fact, here in America, if we looked over the last 200 plus years, the value of the Bible as far as the value of the Word of God has diminished greatly. I was studying the history of my family this week, and my great grandfather and my my grandfather and my great grandfather were uh, both named after a traveling evangelist that came through uh, the Alabama at that time. This is back in the eight, late 1800s, going into the first uh, the turn the century of 1900, and they were both endowed with a name. It's called Lorenzo Dow. He was a famous evangelist. He used to travel around, uh, specifically that part of the country. And I mean, he was a passionate preacher of God's word, but he had such an impact apparently on my grand, my great-grandmother and my great-great-grandmother that they named their children after him. And uh, again, I, people were hungry at that time for the word of God, uh, but they weren't giving it to it as far as religion goes. They had to find it somewhere else through these traveling evangelists. As a matter of fact, this particular evangelist uh, did not, um, wasn't really welcomed in the churches because he was passionate and adamant, and he was so forceful in getting people to a place where they need to pursue God and not pursue religion, and it made the religious people unhappy. But I thought that was interesting. As a matter of fact, my, my, my own middle name, uh, my grandfather, I had the same name as my middle name as my dad, but my, uh, my, my grandfather named my dad specifically and gave him the middle name Wesley after John Wesley. And so I've been, I was given the middle name um, after a famous preacher also. My point with all that is that John Wesley, as well as this Lorenzo Dow, made an impact on people back then as far as preaching. People were stirred because deep down they knew, especially going through the Depression, and my grandparents knew going through the Depression, that if they, didn't, if they didn't have Jesus, they were not going to make it during those times. And uh, we have the same window here in 2023. If we don't have the Lord, we're not necessarily going to make it. We can endure and make it and manage through life. But to really have the life that I believe is the best life possible comes through a relationship with the Lord. And you have to have to have to have the ability to see that. Someone asked me the other day what I believe the number one uh, uh, weapon that Satan uses against us. And I believe it's distraction. I've said it before and and we'll really say it again, sometimes we call it deception, but I think it's distracting people away from getting you know, the word of God, final authority or first place in their lives. I mean, deception, of course, will take us away from, you know, the word of God being that kind of authority in our life and lead us on to other things. But distraction, being busy and, and going here and doing this and dealing with this and dealing with that, that distracts us from what I want to talk to you about today. Let's turn to Matthew chapter four, or look on the screens, Matthew chapter four and verse number one. This is where I want to begin today and seeing the word of God as a life source. In Matthew chapter four, verse one, this is the story of Jesus right after he was tempted. It says in verse 1 here, in Matthew chapter 1, I mean Matthew chapter 4 verse 1, it says, 
And there we go. And Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit in the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. So notice what's happening here. And when he had fasted 40 days and 40 nights afterward, he was hungry. I mean, that's a long time to go without food. And verse number three, and when and notice here, this is it. This is interesting in verse number three. Satan comes when? It's your weakest, not your strongest, right? And so Satan comes to him in verse number three and said to him, watch this now. He says, if, now, and again, that's the thing about Satan. He doesn't really tell you something. He he asks you something. And by the way, the same thing that he does, he did with Jesus, he does with you and I. Notice what he's doing here. He says in verse number three, he said, if you're the son of God, command these stones to come to bread. So what's Satan doing? He's attacking at his weakest point. He's also attacking him at the point of identity. And Satan will do that every single time with you and I. He will ask us questions, but he'll always challenge our identity. You know, if you think you are a child of God, then what about this? And notice what Jesus said in verse number four. It says, but then he answered, he said this. He said, it is written. Everybody say, it is written. Notice those three words there. Jesus says, it is written. He didn't say, I recall. He said, it is written, what? Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of the mouth of God. Now, that's interesting that Jesus would say that in the moment of temptation. That would be the first words out of his mouth, but he did. And then notice what Satan does in verse number five. Then Satan took him onto the, onto the pinnacle or took him up to the holy city and set him on a pinnacle in the temple. And notice what he's doing now. He's, now he's challenging his relationship with the Lord in verse six and said, if you are the son of God, notice what he's saying now. Now he's saying, he went from challenging him as far as, you know, his identity. Now saying, if you're truly the son of God, then you throw yourself down. And then look what he says here. This is interesting. Satan knows scripture. <laughs> look what it says. He says, Satan says, for it is written, he shall give his angels charge over you. And in their hands, they shall bear you up, lest you dash your foot against the stone. That's Psalm 91. So he's quoting him scripture. He's challenging his identity. He's challenging his relationship with the Lord. And what does Jesus do at the end of verse, or in verse seven? What are those three words he says to him again? What are those three words? Let's say it together. It is written. One more time. There you go. And Jesus said to him again, it is written. So what is Jesus doing, ladies and gentlemen? He is going back to the authority, to what we should answer in these situations. And of course, Jesus says right here, you shall not tempt the Lord your God. Jesus said, it is written, you should not tempt the Lord your God. Watch what it says in verse number eight. And again, the devil took him on an exceeding high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. In verse number nine, look at this. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Now notice something here. This is actually a temptation on Jesus' part. I mean, Satan was truly tempting him because Jesus had not gone to the cross at that time. And so Satan actually had the authority in this world. You say, where does that come from, Pastor Brian? That comes back from the Garden of Eden. When the Garden of Eden, when Adam and Eve basically had the authority in this world under the Lord to do something about ruling the garden under the Lord, and they gave it away when they went to the apple or went to that fruit, and they gave away their authority. So Jesus didn't have that until he went back to the cross. And in Matthew 28, he said, all authority is given to me in heaven and earth. He took back what was stolen from Adam and Eve. So this is truly a temptation when Satan says, all these things I will give you if you'll fall down and worship me. And look what Jesus says. Again, he's challenging his what his identity, his, his uh, personal relationship with the Lord and his authority. And verse number nine 
But it says again, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And look what Jesus said in verse number 10 again. Jesus said to him, <laughs> I like this. He said, away with you, Satan. What's those three words again? All right, away with you, Satan, is what? It is written. Let's say it together. It is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, and in him you shall serve only. And notice here in verse number 11, this is powerful. And then the devil left him. How would you like for the devil to leave you? <laughs> As notice what it says in verse number 11. It says, the devil left him, and behold, the angels came and ministered to him. Why did the devil leave him? He got frustrated. He got flustered at the fact that Jesus kept going back, As even in his weakness, even in the point of where he was, he was absolutely to a point that Jesus wore him down and wore him out, and you and I can do the same thing to our enemy. But many times we don't. Many times we don't see the power of what we have in our lab or on our phones, and I'm not talking about Facebook. I'm not talking about the news. I'm talking about our covenant with God, and we're going to get to that in just a second. As a matter of fact, there are three statements I want to read to you if they'll show those three statements, these three points. I think they're powerful. First of all, the Word of God is a supernatural book. Everybody say supernatural. It is supernatural. That means it's beyond the natural. There's no other book like this book. You're holding in your hands the word of the living God. As a matter of fact, it's not a Bible just on theology and history and eschatology. It's a supernatural book in the way it was authored and orchestrated to be in our possession today. Number two, the word of God, and this is most important to me, the word of God is actually God speaking to you and I. There's 6,000 promises in this book. And when we see that it's God actually speaking to you and I, then we have a difference in just approaching it out of a historical or a, you know, a theological aspect. We see it as God directly speaking to me. And when you peel back and spend enough time with it, then you begin to really see that he did mean what he said to you, even if he said 2,000 plus years ago or longer than that. He is still speaking to you today. And what he said then to whoever he said it is just as relevant today as it was then. But when you just put on religious eyes and just sort of look at it in a way of religiosity. And again, most people, when they try to, especially the first of the year, they try to start reading the Bible and the book of Genesis. Thank God for the book of Genesis. Thank God for the book of Exodus. But when you start getting past those books and you get into Leviticus and all those other things, you can get lost real quick in the word of God, unless you have a theological background or study the history of the Bible. I highly recommend all the time, start with Matthew, Mark, Luke, Luke and John and work that way. And then you can go back or take you courses that we have online of SUM, the school that I attend, other Bible colleges. They are now offering free Bible or, or Old Testament, New Testament, what they call surveys or classes where you can take basic principles of understanding specifically the Old Testament for free. As a matter of fact, you can see me about that and it'll help you to understand the theology of the Old Testament and understand the structure and how it was bringing this foundation of painting the picture through prophetic utterance that Jesus was someday to be the Messiah. And that's the reason we can understand Exodus and all these other books and, and look at the Psalms and the Proverbs. Of course, every single day of my life, I'm reading the book of Proverbs or the Psalms because David had a heart relationship with the Lord and there's wisdom found, especially in the book of Proverbs. And I read a different version. I'll go through, the, I'll go through all the 30 Proverbs or 31 Proverbs and I'll read them in different versions. And they continually speak wisdom to me beyond my own years. And I am so thankful that God's word is still God speaking to us today. You don't need a visitation from God necessarily because God's already visited you for his word. He's already given you the presence. The author of this very book's living on the inside of you. 
He said, well, Pastor Brian, I wish, man, it was sort of like the Old Testament and, you know, I could climb up on this mountain and, and you know, have a face-to-face encounter with God like Moses did. That's an awesome thing, okay? But you have something greater than Moses had. Moses only got some words from God. You have the entire covenant of God. And that's the third thing I want to point. We have a covenant with God through his word. Everybody say covenant. Now that's a strange thing, the word covenant. We don't really understand that in here in America. The closest thing we have to covenant in America is simply what we call contractual marriage, okay? But really a covenant is a binding blood agreement between two individuals. And when you're in covenant with, with someone, especially in people that are in covenant in other lands, specifically Africa, they take covenant to the death. And covenant with God is to the death of the fact that he is not going to betray his part. He gave his blood through his son, Jesus, and he has a covenant with you. And here in America, we just sort of, you know, don't have an understanding. By the way, that's not the fault of you. That's the fault of ministers. But that's why I'm purposing in statements like today and series like I'm doing in the future to get us to a place that we understand this is a supernatural book. This is God actively speaking. Everybody say actively. Actively speaking today. God is actively talking to you and I. I mean, listen, let's just come to a place where understanding about the Lord. He has said everything about your life that he wants to say other than personal guidance to the point where everything you will ever need in this life is found in this book. Now, I realize that you're saying, Pastor Brian, not everything. I know that. There's nothing in here at all about me marrying Sheila. There's not a single word about Brian Jacobs will marry Sheila on October the 16th, 1985, I mean, 1995 at 2 o'clock in the afternoon in Crowley, Texas. Texas at Jerry Savelle Ministries, Heritage of Faith. That's not in here. However, there are principles in here. There are traits in here. There are characteristics in here about how Brian was to marry Sheila, how Sheila was to approach Brian, and how, more importantly, Brian was to approach Sheila. We were to put our lives together individually and come together corporately, and we were led of the Lord, and there are certain, certain things in Ephesians 5 and 1 Corinthians 13, and et cetera, et cetera, that, bound, that brought us together. And we had our covenant with God first before we had a covenant with each other. You know, when I was standing there at that altar, and some of you in this room was a witness to that, to me, that wasn't a marriage contract. That was a covenant. That means forever. No negotiation. I'm the husband of one wife, and that means forever. And that's the way I approach that. Well, Pastor Brian, I tried to do that too, and it failed. I understand that. Listen, I understand that you cannot control the actions of another human being. However, I'm just speaking from my point of view. I saw when we took communion, I saw when we were making those exchanges of words, I saw them as unto the Lord, as unto the witnesses that were there, which is my pastor, Harold Nichols, and, and some of you in this room. I did it as unto the Lord, because I thought in my own heart, this is a covenant that I'm making, not just a contract. And when you have that kind of approach to life, beginning with marriage and beginning with other things, just like with other factors, when you say something and your word is your word, then how much more is God able to back his word and honor his word if you'll have that same kind of confidence and faith in him? Number two, you got to see the word as God is, is an answer. Everybody say answer. First Corinthians, I mean, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Notice what it says here. First Corinthians, I mean, excuse me, 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20. Seeing God's word is the answer. Everybody say answer, 
please. Answer, one more time. Answer, it is the answer to life's problems. Look at this. It says, for all the promises, let's just read this together. For all the promises, one more time. For all the promises, one more time, here we go. For all the promises of God are in him, are what? Yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. Let's read it one more time. It'll make you feel good. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God. Notice what that phrase there, it says those first four words, for all the, pro- all the promises, not some of the promises, but all of the promises. How many promises are in there? Let's say it together, 6,000 plus. That's a lot of promises, is it not? I mean, 6,000. I mean, it's a lot of promises, but I go back to my opening statement. We've got a lot of people that are distancing themselves from the word of God. They're not putting it first place or final authority. They're not letting it be the answer and they're not seeing it as the source. And listen, I understand that as a pastor, it grieves me. We're offering discipleship classes. We're offering every kind of venue to get the word of God to you in these kind of areas where there's Bible studies or whatever. And if you want to be a part of that, please contact us. We're here to empower you, equip you to get you that place because One word from God will change your life forever. One word from God can set your destiny into a place where it's a place of victory, not a place of defeat. You don't have to to surrender to the fact that yourself is in control. When you let Jesus be in control of your life and he's the answer to your life, I promise you, your life will get better every single time. Let's go on for a second. I want to take an example, just a journey here for just a couple of minutes, because I believe this is so important. When we look at the promises of God as being yes and amen, let's go to, for example, the subject of healing. Back to Isaiah. Healing is such a, such a prevalent thing in our society, always has been and always will be, because healing has been, again, what Jesus ministered you know, as part of his ministry, but what, how does that relate to us today? Isaiah 53, four through five. Look at this on the screens, please. Or if you have a Bible or your um, phone or iPad or tablet, Isaiah 53, four through five. I want to, again, as we move into this year, we're going to read back, re-bring back healing school at a certain time of the year or certain seasons of the year. There's going to be more emphasis on healing because healing is a part of our covenant with God. Again, a lot of churches, if not a majority of churches, steer away from the issue of healing but healing is vital to me. And if you are sick and you need prayer for healing of any capacity, please contact us. Because the promise here in Isaiah 53, 4 is a prophecy, but it came to pass as we're going to see in Matthew 8, 17. What does it say? Isaiah 53, 4 through 5, it says, surely Jesus has bore our sickness. This is talking about the prophecy on the cross. He carried away our sorrows of pains, yet we, esme- yet we esteemed him stricken and smitten by God. He was afflicted. That means the horror of what was happening on the cross was placed upon him. We're talking about the price of sin, sickness, and everything satanic. Notice what it says in verse 5. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities or our sins. Watch this. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we were healed. This is the thing that Jesus paid. And notice the chastisement of our peace was placed upon him. Not only we were meant to be healed, but we were meant to have peace of mind. And how many people today in our society are dealing with such torment mentally from anxiety to worry to depression? That's not God's will. It's not God's plan. But we've got weapons to fight that. But if you don't fight those with the weapons that you've been given, you're not going to have the victory, in my opinion. So many people are looking. There's nothing wrong with going to a doctor, a counselor, a psychiatrist, and those things. I would encourage you to do those things, especially if you could find somebody biblically. But the point is, you've got to also stand and say, Jesus bore the price for the, the, the possession of my mind to belong to him and not the world. 
I'm not going to let stinking thinking stay in my life all the time. I love what one minister man, friend of mine said, or a man that I admire deeply. He said, I, I can't prevent the, um, the uh, birds from flying over my hair, but I can prevent them from roosting in my hair. I like that. And it's the same thing with thoughts. It's the same thing with this negative, stinking, anxiety-based thinking and depression saying, you know, listen, if Jesus were here today, what would he be doing? I'm glad you asked that question. Matthew 8, 17. Matthew 8, 17. What would Jesus be doing if he was walking the earth? He would be preaching, teaching, and healing. Let's say it together. Preaching, teaching, and healing. One more time. Preaching, teaching, and healing. That's what Jesus would be doing. And look what it says here in Matthew 8, 17. Matthew 8, 17. This is, again, confirming Isaiah 53, 4 through 5. These are scriptures you need to lock on that Jesus is our healer. He is not our healer for our spirit only. He's the healer of our bodies. And there is a fight of faith when it comes to healing, is it not? Why is there a fight of faith? Because there's a curse in this world. This world is cursed. It is not blessed. It is cursed. It was cursed the moment Adam and Eve gave it away. And you and I have to fight for the redemption of what belongs to us. Heaven will come to this earth, but heaven is not on this earth now as far as the heaven that we will see one day. And Satan is in this planet doing a good job of stealing, killing, and destroying. But look what it says in Matthew eight seventeen. I love this. It says in verse number 14, And Jesus came to Peter's house and saw his wife, mother-in-law, sick with fever. What did he do? He touched her hand, and he touched her hand, and the fever left her, and she rose immediately and served them. Verse number 16, And when evening come, they brought many to Jesus who were demon-possessed. And he cast all the spirits out with a word. And notice the end of verse number 16. And he healed some that were sick. What's that word? All. He healed all who were sick. Why? Because he loves people. He doesn't want to see people tormented. He doesn't want to see people bound down. I mean, when you go to a hospital and nothing wrong with a hospital per se or the environment of a hospital, but I'm telling you, sometimes it can be very oppressive. Not the gift store where Miss Janet works, but I'm talking about the other places. It can be very oppressive, okay? We all agree with that. I mean, it's not, it's not a fun place to be. Why? Because sickness and disease is never, you know, fun and it's sure not you know, of God. I mean, there's no cancer in heaven. There's no arthritis in heaven. And why, if, they, if that was the truth, then Jesus would not have done... If, if, we, Jesus fulfilled the perfect will of God, did he not? He, he is truly the son of the living God. Did he not do the Father's will? And he says right here, it says right here about him, he healed all that were sick. Now watch what it says here in verse number uh, 16 again. He healed all that were sick in verse 17, that it might fulfill, everybody say fulfill, that it might fulfill that which was spoken by Isaiah the prophet, which was what we just read, that he himself took our infirmities and bore our sicknesses. God is about confirming his word. He confirmed his word with Jesus. He confirms his word through the Apostle Paul. And he wants to confirm his word in your life. And when you put this word of God as first place, and when you lock onto that promise and don't bow to that, I'm telling you what, God is going to back you up because he wants to stand with you because he wants the very best for you. I mean, how many times I fought the good fight of faith? Pastor friends of mine in this very community, one pastor gave me the phone number and said he would go to the bank to borrow the money to do our parking lot. And I said, no, 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 I am not going to do that. I don't want to borrow. I don't want to be an obligation to that. You can do that. I don't want to do that. The money will come. And I'll never forget, he was in another place in another facility where we used to meet. He looked at me and he said, Brian, I seriously doubt that you will ever get that money if you don't borrow it. You, the only way I foresee you ever getting that 
that parking lot done is you to borrow it. And the day that it was poured, I went over and said, hello. (laughs) Not in arrogance, but praising God. Praising that God is faithful. Hebrews 13.8, what does it say? Hebrews 13.8, look at this, look at this. This is a good verse of scripture for you to remember. If you want to summarize the Bible and the New Testament clearly, Hebrews 13.8, what does it say? Let's look at it together. Hebrews 13.8, what does it say? Jesus Christ is what? The same yesterday, today, and forever. One more time. Jesus is what? The same yesterday, today, and forever. What does that mean, Pastor Brian? He's doing the same thing he did then, he wants to do now. And ladies, and gentlemen, let's don't let that get away from us. Don't ever lose the vision of that. I want to close with this one verse of scripture here in Second, I mean, in Second Timothy three sixteen. Second Timothy three three sixteen. Uh, we've got something special we want to do here, but I just want to bring these two other points to you. Second Timothy three sixteen, talking about God's word here. Second Timothy three sixteen. It says, "All Scripture is given to us by inspiration of God." Watch this. It is for what profitable. For doctrine, or I just like to say that all scripture is given to us for profit, for doctrine, for reproof. Notice reproving, not just, I like to say reproof like this. It's not just reproving you in a correctional manner, but it's reproving the fact that it's proving it true. I'm just adding that to it. It says, what's, what's the word of God? It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. Watch this as we close. Verse number 17, that the man or woman of God, watch this now, may be what? Everybody say it. May be complete. Everybody say complete. Complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. That's what the power of doing two things is all about. Putting God's word first place in your life, and secondly, putting God's word as final authority in your life will help you to be that complete person you need to be. And it comes not by might, not by power, but it comes by this covenant we have with God. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much for the price you paid, that you said that though it is written, well, we follow you today and follow your example and know that it is written for our lives. What is God has promised, God is able to do. And we thank you for this covenant that we have with you. We purpose to be faithful to it and understand it greater. In Jesus' name, amen. 